0: Appalachia. Nobody truly knows where the word came from, but it seems that most folks have their own idea of what it is. Everything from run-down mobile homes full of meth heads to beautiful mountaintop views. The Appalachian Mountains are the oldest mountains in the world, and once stood over 30,000 feet into the air. They span the eastern North America from Canada through 14 states all the way to Louisiana. Hello. I'm Larry Bentley I was born and raised in these very mountains. I for one know that they are a source of unending tales and adventure. I also know that the views of an Appalachian as to what happens outside these mountains is a bit different than one might think. Join me as uh, we take a journey through these old Appalachian Mountains and beyond. I think you'll be surprised at how it goes. Welcome to season 3 of Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend. Howdy, my good friends. I hope you're doing well today. Thank you so much for stopping by. You know, I've seen drugs and alcohol destroy many a life in my umpteen laps around the sun. I know that folks should have the right to do whatever they want to do, but I'm telling you what. There comes a time when some folks just can't control it anymore and they flat need some help. One might think that getting said person to recognize that they need help is going to be the hardest thing they'll have to do and i agree it's pretty blame hard that would be until you get them that far only to have to then go actually find help that they need again you'd think that the greatest country in the world that part would be a cakewalk now i'm here to tell you that nothing could be harder to accomplish i've personally witnessed folks needing help and i mean needing help bad only to not be able to find or even afford it once they did find a place to help even if said place accepts their insurance i'm here to tell you that it don't cover near what the total cost is and in many cases i've seen you know that i've seen anyway looks to me like something you know could be done along the lines of maybe the using some of that war on drugs money to help folks that need help and you know being in the world that the war on drugs is you know according to the stats that i've read and i've read quite a bunch of them it's a always about effective as drinking water to try to heal up a cut throat. As time goes on for those addicted who are people too, we gotta remember that, they lose all touch with reality and become focused on one thing. And that's getting the next fix. That's where things really start getting downhill and going downhill and spiraling out of control and they become extremely dangerous for anybody and probably everybody around them. I mean, life-threatening dangerous. At that point, there's little hope that anything can change without you know some kind of major criminal act taking place and they may that may result in jail time or prison time for the addict you know and then at that point they can maybe dry out that is if the crime doesn't result in the death of anybody you know that that'll you know give them even more time to dry out probably the rest of their lives and maybe a you know, if nobody is killed or anything happens to them, maybe people can move away from it just a little wiser than they were to start with. Obviously, uh, I wouldn't be here saying anything if uh, the latter is what happened in today's case. So come on in, take your shoes off, and set a spell, and I'll tell you about one that just didn't end good for anybody. Folks, Clay County, Alabama sits on the edge of the Appalachian Mountains in the eastern part of the state. It's a right, beautiful area with the Talladega National Forest right there, just ripe for the picking. Now you know where you're going to find me if I'm ever in Clay County, Alabama, don't you? But back in 2016, believe it or not, Clay County became the last place in the state to legalize alcohol. Before that, it was one of the few dry counties left in this country, let alone Alabama. According to folks that live there, Clay County's a right peaceful place. Of course, tragedy always runs roads looking for right peaceful places to stop and take a pickaxe to. That's exactly what happened on June 28, 2001, when a 911 call reported the discovery of a double murder. Billy and Debbie Triplett, a married couple that ran a little grocery store over in Barfield, were found murdered right there in their home. Debbie was 44 and found laying in her kitchen. They found her blood-covered pocketbook, which had been rummaged through, laying within an arm's length of her body. didn't take a professor of pathology to see that her whole head had been bashed in and that a knife had been used to cut her throat, just to make sure that there wasn't any coming back from it. Her husband, Billy, he was 52. He was found in the living room. He had been bashed in the head, too, and whoever had knifed Miss Triplett didn't stop there. They almost cut Billy's head completely off. Now, the Alabama Bureau of Investigation was called in, and the whole house was processed for murder weapons, fingerprints, footprints, DNA, and uh, about anything else I might not have thought of there just then. But detectives found that the word NARC had been written on the living room wall and what they thought was probably... Bill, uh, Debbie's lipstick, since they didn't figure Billy, who was a big old tobacco chewing country boy, much cared for wearing it. But Debbie's children, Michael and Michelle Lambert, from a previous marriage and Billy's son, Randy Triplett, must have heard that something was going on and showed up at the scene. Now While they all waited outside, investigators found an empty cash box in the car. That little clue made them start thinking that money was probably the motive for the murder. Of course, investigators wouldn't be investigating properly if they didn't start asking everybody their questions. When they got to Michelle Lambert, she told them that when her mother closed the store, she just took the whole whatever cash was in the register drawer out and put it in that box. And when they opened the store the next day, she just took it all out of the box and put it back in the register. Now, that begged the next question. Did somebody know that tidbit of information and drop over to take it and... Yeah, by whatever means necessary. And uh, that would be including murder. Folks, this is about to take a turn. Nobody saw coming. I'll be right back. You're listening to Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend with Larry Bentley. Next thing the investigators did was retrace Debbie's footsteps. After she closed the store, she had dinner with her son, Michael. She then got home around 10 o'clock at night. Her murder had uh, happened around that time at that point i was thinking that it sounded like they might have caught her coming in the door or something but detectives had two working theories for the murders a robbery that took a nosedive and or maybe a drug-related murder to make an example out of the triplets but they didn't find any evidence at all that the triplets were involved in any kind of drug play or with any narcotics investigation they started thinking that the narc that was crawled across the living room wall. Was there to maybe just throw him off. There were several witnesses that came forward and stated that Billy would sometimes sell a little beer or liquor on the sly, being that Clay County was still dry back then. And investigators thought that maybe he made somebody mad by doing that. Then there was a little off the books gambling, you know, side and you know, the little side hustle that Billy ran sometimes. That included a couple of poker machines in the back of the store. Now they found out that Debbie would go and clean out the machines, which accepted one dollar and five dollar bills at the end of the. But she'd go into end of the night and clean it all out, and she always stuck that money in her purse. Still, don't sound like they were doing anything that would get them killed, does it? Now, if you've lived in the mountains as long as I have, you know that there was quite a few of these little type stores in existence, and it wasn't uncommon at all to find anything like that. I don't know about today. It's been a while since I've made my rounds, but as far as they are concerned. But detectives found out that Billy had been robbed at the store back in February of that year. Three guys came into the store and duct taped Billy all up and left him in the walk-in cooler like that. Billy was able finally to get loose, and because, of, you know, maybe what he was doing was just a little bit under the table, he just never reported it. Now... Detectives had no way to tie the robbery and the murder together, though And uh, then uh, out of the blue came a call from somebody in the community that changed the direction of the whole case. The caller said that they saw Randy Triplett with a wad of cash in Walmart, and that was unusual. Why? Well, Randy didn't have any money because he couldn't keep a job, and to beat that, he owed money for back child support. Now, Randy was living with his grandmother, less than two miles from his dad's house. Word around town was that Randy and Debbie just flat didn't get along. He was riding the drug train. Now, Billy had always supported Randy until just before the murders. Debbie had told Billy that at some point he's going to have to sink and swim on his own. Of course, viewing things from a presumed drug stupor, Billy was uh, or Randy, I'm sorry, was completely enraged by this and his stepmother would try to do something like that to put a stop to his free ride. Detective run down and confronted Randy about the cash he was carrying, and Randy claimed that high school classmates had taken up a collection and gave him six hundred dollars. Now, the Detective knew those classmates and knew that there was no way in the world that they could have done that, because they didn't have a whole lot more money than Randy had. They knew that Randy was lying, of course. Detectives had a few more questions for Randy, including where his whereabouts were at about the time of the murders. Randy said that he had been watching football with his father that evening, and Randy said that when he left his dad's house that he had a flat tire about a mile from his dad's house. Sure enough, Randy's alibi seemed to check out. He, sure enough, people saw him changing a flat tire, but another tip was called in right, you know, let everybody right back to Randy again after they got that far with it. The man said that he was in possession of one dollar and five dollar bills that he thought had blood all over. Randy had given the money to him for safe keeping. Sure enough, Randy confirmed that it was his money and claimed that he had found the small bills in his father's closet, but investigators knew that that was another whopper of a lie. They had gone through the house with a fine-tooth comb and would have found enough lint to weave a $5 bill if it had been there. But detectives then took a and searched Randy's car, and a smudged bloody fingerprint was found during the search. Now, Randy had an explanation for that, too. He claimed that he had cut himself weeks earlier, and the bloody fingerprint, along with the blood-covered cash, was sent out for DNA testing. Back then, thank God they still had it, or they'd had it back then, and then, it, but it still took six to eight weeks at that point and to get it back. Now, while waiting on the DNA results, the case, you know, took another twist because you can't have a murder case without at least one good twist. All of a sudden, Billy's car, which had been parked in his driveway, up and disappeared. It turned out that Randy took it upon himself to start discharging a will that nobody had seen or heard, or heard read yet and... Took the car, forged his father's signature, and sold it off. Since they already thought that he might have committed the awful murders, they arrested Randy, and he was charged with vehicle and theft and forgery. At least that would keep him off the streets you know, until they could get the DNA results back. And Randy was still sitting in his cell, looking at the wall, when the DNA results did come back. They found that Debbie Triplet's blood was. On the smudge print in Randy's car, you know, the print that he left after he cut himself, her blood was also found all over the $1 and $5 bills that Randy handed over to his friend for safekeeping. You know, the friend that dropped a dime on him. You gotta wonder how dumb criminals are sometimes, folks. It was at this point Randy Triplett was arrested for the murders of his father and stepmother. On June 23, 2004, prosecutors in Clay County, Alabama got ready to bring Randy to trial. They figured that on the night of the murders, an apparent knockdown, dragout fight had happened between Randy and his father, and he killed Billy. And when Debbie got home, he caught her coming in the door, beat and stabbed her, too. Of course, Randy, sitting there with a who hit John look on his face, denied any guilt and insisted that it. His flat tire was proof that he couldn't be killing folks and was changing the tire at the same time. Yeah, it's pretty thin, folks. I can change a tire in about 10 to 20 minutes, even at my age, and I wouldn't even be going at it like killing snakes. So that must have been what prosecutors thought, too, because they looked back at him with their, you know, you got, they have caught you, you scumbag look on their face and said, Randy had plenty of time to murder his parents, and because it probably took him less time to murder him than it did to change a flat tire. Of course, the trial went through all of the back-and-forth heming and hawing that and they do, you know. And then they handed it over to the jury, and they found Randy guilty of capital murder of his father and stepmother. And he was sentenced to life behind bars. They'd give him the big L-wop, life without parole. Finally, on April seventh, 2016, Randy Triplett, who was now 45, hanged himself in prison. Now, folks, from what I've dug up, Randy was most likely on drugs of some kind and needed money to keep going. That was supposedly the reason that he couldn't keep a job. Billy had always gave him money, and he expected that to just keep happening to infinity, I guess. When Debbie stepped up and put a stop to it, being that he was dang near 30 years old and actually needed a stop put to it he just went over the deep end and it all finally ended in a prison cell with two of his family murdered and him with bed clothes tied around his neck now i'm not making excuses or anything like that for anybody that's done anything like it nobody held anybody down and forced them to take anything unfortunately they made their bed and now by golly they had to lay in it i'd do know that drugs can make people do things they wouldn't normally do. While I was working rescue, I literally picked up some of my high school friends who died from overdoses. The friends that were there on my first day of school and wouldn't so much as taking aspirin for a headache in school. Now, after seeing that, I believe it can pretty much happen to almost anybody. If there's somebody listening right now that needs help or you... Know somebody that needs help? Call the National Substance Abuse Hotline at 800-662-4357 and you know you can at least try. Hope you got something out of our story today. It's one that needed telling. And if you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast and whatever media you're listening to. Oh, and remember to hit that subscribe or follow button so you can catch the next episode. Now, join us over on the Facebook group, Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend Podcast, where we can talk Appalachian or anything else you want to say. And I'll be right back real soon with another Appalachian Murder, Mystery, or Legend, and I will see you then.